Bob Talk Radio. As the legend goes, an old Cherokee was teaching his grandson about life. He said to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, guilt, lies, superiority, and ego. The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no. glory, glory, oh, glory, glory, hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, his spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson That's why Rosa sat on the bus. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host tonight, Bill Green. Okay, we got a little double feed going on. Hopefully that took care of that. Um, and I might be flying solo tonight, so all of you who were tuning in hoping to hear what my prayer circle refers to as the Lord's will, <laughs> I love that. My son, my oldest son, Will Green. I hate to disappoint you, but he's on his own sabbatical in Mexico. Uh, he may call in tonight. I'm hoping he won't, um, just for his own peace of mind. I think my young brother deserves a little self-time. So he and his um, his lady friend, uh, um, Matsuzlan, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I, I, I intended to practice, <laughs> but... So much. I've never been good at practicing anything. Um, so anyway, uh, he'll, he'll, I'll probably be flying solo. So those of you who are tuning in, those of you who are listening through your various devices, believe me, I will have no problem at all if you decide to um, call in tonight and and help me get over my feelings of angst and loneliness. Um, it'll be somewhat of an open mic. Um, in regards to tonight's topic, uh, I don't know if that means then it's not an open mic, uh, but we're going to be um, paying tribute to the historic cause of civil rights from Booker T. Washington, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois. Some say Du Bois, I say Du Bois. Some say tomato, something you get it. Uh, and Marcus Garvey, up to the themes of the 60s, 
as well as the impact of the late 1800s to the 21st century on the unfolding consciousness of black America. So um, if you're so inclined, um, feel free to call in, hit the um, one button, that'll cue you in, and I, I will get to you. Uh, I promise I'll get to you tonight. Now, but if you do hit the cue and you want to make a comment, listen closely. Um, don't wander away from your phone because I'll let you know that um, your time has come by, le- by announcing your area code and the first three digits of your phone number. And so pay attention to that, like um, 469245. That's my number. Um, that's what I'll say. So if you hear that, that means, you know, you're cooking. And I hope I'm cooking. I don't have a wingman, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm transmitting. I'm trusting that I am. Um, also, some other things I wanted to just touch on as far as this, um, this particular show of ours is concerned. Um, if you want to be a part of the chat room, then you'll need to go to Block Talk Radio's website, and you'll see us. And all you need to do is use your credit card. No charge will be made but that will free you up to be able to um, enter into the chat room. Now, we've been doing this for a while, and Will's been doing it longer than me. And my, they have my credit card, of course, you know, I'm using it because of the show. Um, but others who have used it and have been in the chat room, never have we had a report of some flagrant misuse or any misuse um, of credit cards. So trust the process. I'm all but guaranteed all will be fine. Also, um, you might let your friends know, um, and even if they aren't friends, <laughs> you might let folks know that they can go right to the Blog Talk Radio um, website, blogtalkradio.com, the Greenhouse Effect, or I'm sorry, the Greenhouse FX, let me repeat it, blogtalkradio.com slash the Greenhouse FX, and then just press play, the play icon and then you can listen through, listen through um, your devices without having to call in. And some people are a little, you know, phone-phobic and would rather not dial in as if right away I'm going to acknowledge who you are. We don't have caller ID unless I know your number firsthand, which would be kind of amazing because I'm of the, I've joined the 21st century technologically, so I only know your phone number by your name. <laughs> I don't I don't have any idea what Will's phone number is. You know, I just see Will Green, and, and, and if I ever had to give his number, believe me, what I would say to um, police or whoever, what's his number? Will Green. You know. So anyway, aha, enough of that. Um, and I'm sure there's other things I forgot, but trust me, um, Will will fill me in on what I overlooked, and I'll bring it back because he may not be here Wednesday either, um, and he'll be returning. Um, on the 20th, he'll be leaving his sabbatical and returning home on the 20th. So by next week, um, all of Will's fans, he'll be back for sure next week. But I'm, I'm really encouraging him to um, trust the process as far as even I'm concerned. Um, that, you know, I'll handle it as best I can. And I'm sure the millions won't be too disappointed. If he was here right now, he would say, the millions. Also, if you decide to hit one and make a comment, um, I'll see the icon flash. Um, but if, in fact, you decide or if something happens and you have to walk away, just hit one again and 
the icon will be removed, and then you can always hit it again when you return. Or for that matter, if you should change your mind about not wanting, wanting to make a comment, hit the one button, and the icon will go away. Otherwise, you don't have to worry about it, what happens after that. Um, I have promised, Will, that I will be caller-friendly, so if I cue you in, I will put myself on patient mode and let the comments begin. And I see there's already someone, oh, no, they dropped away. Okay. I was about to uh, bring them in. I saw that they had hit the, hit the queue, but I guess they changed their mind. Oh, there they are again. So, area code 469-834. I'm going to bring you in right now um, and allow you to, and, and allow you to um, engage in, in dialogue. And I'll just pick up on the show after, um, after our commentary. So, area code 469-834. You are on the air. Good evening. The doctor's on the line. What's up, baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, my man, Jay Pastor. What's happening, man? Yes, sir. I, I apologize yes, sir. for last week not getting to you, so I'm so glad it's you. So I'm making up for lost causes, man. Welcome to the show. How you doing there, Jay Pastor? Man, I'm 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 feeling good, man. To be in the presence of greatness, yeah. I know that you know from the from the topic that you said that. You know, I'm going to get served, and I'm going to, you know, Amen. get full, and I'm going to, you know, get to <laughs> tap into to the richness of your of your legacy, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the show. Um, definitely going to try to stay tuned in. Hopefully don't know distractions okay. come, come across my line. You know, definitely, you know, appreciate what y'all are doing, man. And, and, you know, I'm here to support because I know that, Lord's will is doing Amen. the Lord's will, you know? I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. Man, I am so glad that you called in. You know, already I feel, you know, calm, where where a lot of angst was overwhelming me. Man, you don't know how much I appreciate this. Um, I'm going to um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to mute you, but I'm going to leave you okay. online. So if there's, you know, every time you want to make a, a comment, just let me know, and I'll bring you right back on, Okay. Okay, how how do I let you know? Um, just by talking, I'll hear you. Oh, okay, 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 perfect. You know, all you, all you got to do is say, "Hey." <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'll bring you right right back in. As a matter of fact, let's test this right now. So just start talking. Uh, you know, passage, scripture, whatever. I'm just going to mute you while you're talking, and then um, see oh. if I still hear you. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, we. Was was you able to hear me? Nope. So what? Okay, what I'll do when you're done? Yeah, what I'll do? Wait, hold on just a second. Let me see something here. Okay, what I'm going to ask you to do is hit one again when we're done, and then if you have comments to make, hit one again, and that'll bring you back on. Otherwise, okay. if I mute you, I won't be able to hear you. Well, I'm glad I did that. All right. Otherwise, you would have been, hey, hey. <laughs> well, I would have talked to you long up. Yeah, so um, um, at least I'm thinking that's how it works. But you know what? We'll figure it out as we go. All right? I'm not going to yes, worry sir. about I, that. I definitely, yeah. I definitely hear one if, um, you know, if I feel led to 
to, you know, get in where I fit in. Amen. Get in where I fit in. I love it, man. Man, thanks so much <laughs> for calling and stay with us, all right, for as long as you okay. can hang in. Okay. All right. All right. So there we have our first call, and um, I can't begin to tell you all how much it's appreciated. And, again, I want to um, encourage all of you to consider doing the same thing, um, making a comment. It's great to listen, and I know I've talked to a few folks who are, like, kind of um, uh, mic-phobic, and I get that, you know, like, I, won't, I don't know how my voice is sound. I might say something stupid. The last thing you have to worry about is saying something stupid. <laughs> Trust me, I am the king of stupid, you know, and there are no stupid comments, only stupid responses. So that falls all in my lap. All right, so um, starting with... Where to start? Starting with the um, the idea. First of all, you know, last week we were talking about generations. Uh, Will and I were talking about the differences of generations as he's experienced it and as I've experienced it, and we were paralleling our notes in regards to that. And you know, let me tell you um, what I'm what I realized last week is that unless there's a a flow of dialogue and conversation one to another, it's somewhat intimidating to, um, at certain ages, like I'm, I'm, I'm in my 70s, Will has just turned the, the half-century mark, you know, and so that means there's a lot of residue, a lot of dents in the army, armor, um, a, a, a lot of spots that might still be a little bit raw that we haven't quite finished processing through life, and then to bring it up in an open mic form of dialogue, may open old wounds, and I think both of us experience that a little bit, not just in regards to our own families, but also with each other, even though we may have, and I believe we have resolved the issues of conflict that we've experienced, still, you know, there can be tender spots, tender spots that haven't quite completely healed over yet that can spark some reconnection with that kind of residue, you all know what I mean, you know, like um, how things can pop back into your um, memory and just and, and you pause for a second and wonder, well, where did this come from? You know, why am I, why out of nowhere am I being reminded of this screw up or, or, or that failure or that time I embarrassed myself? Happens to me a lot, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so believe me, I have a vast plethora of memories that unfortunately blackouts didn't completely eradicate or erase that have stuck with me and, and as recently as this morning, in fact, on my prayer line. Um, that's a prayer line you just heard what, who I refer to as Jay Pastor because I consider him to be my pastor. Um, he was talking in part about what I'm alluding to, and it stirred that that kind of um, that, that vacuum of, of unrequited, um, self-torture, you know, how we can do that, how we can beat up on ourselves, even when situations have been resolved, even when time has has passed over and and provided the salve necessary to ease the, the, that, that twinge, that, that, that kind of, you know, that twingy little feeling of, did I really do that? <laughs> even still, you know, memory... Memory works two ways. It can remind us of our most embarrassing moments, but it also can be a, like a, a benchmark 
to remind us of how far we've come. And I think sometimes that that's the test. Which one am I? It's almost like the two wolves thing. Which wolf am I going to feed? The memory of regret and the memory of, um, of embarrassment and shame or the memory of, of uh, distancing, of self-repair, of um, uh, uh, amends making. And amends making can be funny. You know, um, in AA we speak of amends making as being something that you do for others except when to do so would injure them or others. So it's not even for us in recovery to make amends. It's strictly for the people we want to make amends to. So there's a lot of ego work that goes into that, you know, because if your ego ain't ready for it and you make amends to somebody and they're like, yeah, you go to hell. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh-oh, old boys start rushing to the surface. So, you know, be prepared in amends making to keep in mind this really isn't for you, the amends maker. It's for the amends receiver, for them to do with what they will. So be sure that, you know, your ego is, is relatively healthy before you enter into that fray and because you might walk out worse, worse off than you were when you walked in, and we don't want to have any more of that, right? So moving on, um, do you, but before I even do that, let me, you know, because I tend to drift. Um, there's some things I just want to um, just throw out there. Um, and just for consideration, you know, even if if you're so moved to make comments about it, great. Um, I read a quote today um, on on the internet, in fact, and it said, "No country can ever truly flourish if it if it stifles the potential of its women and deprives itself of the contributions of half its citizens." And that was attributed to Michelle Obama. Got no problem with the quote. However. As I get older, it's harder and harder for me to deal with American society without some aspects of race um, entering into the into the fray. So, because this is a very color conscious society we live in, I would have had no problem at all with her saying, "No country can ever truly flourish if it stifles the potential of its black women." and deprives itself of the contributions of half its citizens. Now, why do I say that? Well, I know, uh, and I, you know, I don't know, but speaking for Mrs. Obama, you know, she has to deal, I'm believing, you know, she has to take into consideration tact and also popularity and not wanting to offend anyone, not wanting to offend anyone, and I get that. So, you know, I'm not on the track of popularity or, you know, I'm not a, celebrity, so I can just kind of judge and, and throw barbs and darts, and I can do that because this is my little outlet where I can just say what I want to say and speak my mind. Hey, if, if we could endure, if we endured um, uh, Rush Limbaugh, surely we, surely we can endure Bill Green. So I'm saying that in, in, in the vein of tonight's show that I think – there is a need in American society to really make a commentary, the racial ignored, you know, and, and black folks have been ignored far too long. Even with this whole thing about voters' rights going on right now, and it's going on, no question about it, and the president's fired up, 
and he was giving wonderful speeches in Georgia, even though his critics said he waited too long. Well, I don't know if he waited too long because this has been going on for over 160 years. So if we say waited too long, let's start from 1864. Let's not start at 2021, uh, 2022, excuse me, because herein lies, herein lies the rub. You know, um, the issues of voters' rights for black folks has been an issue since the Emancipation Proclamation. So I get it now from a political spectrum and from a political platform that voter rights being a popular theme is something on the heels of, you know, that catastrophe called the the Trump regime. You know, I don't even want to call it an administration. You know, um, and the themes that have dog the trail of American society in regards to its its racial cruelty, um, and 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 done not in part, but in in in, in great multitude, you know, by the um, by the dominant culture to its constituents. And what I mean by dominant culture, I don't mean necessarily by numbers as much as I mean by those who've been in a position to um, dictate social policy. See, black folks don't dictate social policy. We just react to it. That's been the struggle for, well, like I said, over 160 years. You know, our, and our reactions to it, very much similar to Michelle, Michelle Obama's um, quote, it's like, yeah, you know, we're tired of this, but we don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves as we raise our voices in our frustration because we just don't want to offend, you know, and, and we want to be very careful that, you know, people can hear us and not be intimidated or fearful of us. Um, and, okay, but I think the time has come to let's be real about the things that have kept non-white populations in control. You know, this is supposed to be a democratic society. And I'll tell you right now, if it's truly going to be a democratic society, one of the first things it needs to do is throw this concept, this, this word, this, this, this conditioning, um, called minority, needs to ball it up and throw it out the window. You know, you can't be a minority as a citizen in a democratic society without the suggestion being, but you're somewhat lesser than the greater whole. If you don't call me a minority, then the only thing left to call me is an American. And, you know, if I want you to call me a black American, that's my choice, even though I've never had the choice. You know, I've been colored Negro, black, Afro, African-American. You know, these things have constantly been thrown my way, but they all fall under the umbrella of minority. And I haven't really had much of a say-so about that. So in the 60s, you know, um, what we did as a people was redefine ourselves. We moved from um, Negro to black, and that was a heck of a transition to make because not everybody, and in my family even, around the dinner table, were all collectively in agreement to what it meant to move from Negro to black. You know, I, um, <laughs> I've been, all my life, I've either been described or I've heard others be described 
similar to me as being light skinned with um with 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 straight or fine hair. You know, and that just always blows me away because only black folks do that. <laughs> you know, you never hear somebody white describe somebody else white as being white with straight hair. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's like, you know, they're white. You know, so only black folks make this kind of, you know, differentiation as if it it, it, it has something to do with identity other than you know, being what we're called black. And, of course, that was the great struggle in the 60s, um, and a house Negro, field Negro kind of consciousness, where, you know, suddenly being called black right away drew attention to those who weren't, you know, Mandingo, you know, um, Ibu warriors. You know, it's like, ah, yeah, you light, so, you, you, you know, you, you, held, you, you hung out in the, in, in, in the house. You know, but we black because we've been out in the field. You know, so it was still kind of a subtle racism that even existed in the minority race. So, you know, uh, it, it's that kind of thing that until we can speak on a platform of openness and conflict in regards to separations of colors and the impact it's had and just you know, keep, and especially those who are in a position to be the mouthpiece for black folk, you know, like those in the, in the talking heads, you know, in the newsrooms and in the, in the, in the um, cable news, you know, I really need these black folks to really make an effort to identify the fact as far as like even this voters' right thing is concerned, voters' rights thing is concerned, you know. Now, yeah, you know, like um, they're trying to do this to us. They're trying to you know, take away the democratic voice and, and the one great um, the one great right that has been given to this democratic society, the right to vote. Yeah, okay, that's one part of it. But the other part of it is to say in the next breath, but, you know, black folks been fighting for this ever since we were supposedly freed, and we still haven't been completely free if we still have to fight for this singular right that determines the direction of the country called the right to vote, you know, this still is something that means everything to all black people. You know, as it seems right now, it only means something in a negative sense to the Democratic Party white people. You know, so, yeah, and, and, and that brings me to another point. What's, what's with this, you know, I was watching this lady from Arizona, I think it was. I don't, I, I watched it as long as I could. She was talking about, you know, the, the, the vote and how anybody who, upheld the, the vote as being legitimate needs to be locked up. Okay, you know. But what is this thing about having, you know, a, a couple rows of black folks sitting right behind, you know, the um, lectern, you know, a podium, whatever you want to call it, with T-shirts on that says blacks for Trump. <laughs> what does that mean, blacks for Trump? Could you imagine, you know, an Obama rally, you know, and people had on T-shirts that said, Whites for Obama, <laughs> you know, it's it's just a, it's a, I don't know, it's a strange, strange course of action that um, this society of ours has taken in regards to trying to at one point defend the same rights that in the next breath they're trying to take away from others. I I haven't quite understood it. And I don't think I ever will until the other side of the argument is being heard. And I think that's where people have to take up the banner 
and speak more loudly, you know, with a firm resolve that black folks are free and black folks must be granted all of the rights due to them that you, you know, meaning um, the, the extreme right, seem determined to somehow take it away so what? America can be returned to its most natural state, which, you know, I can understand, except for one fact, its most natural state had to do with the red population, <laughs> you know, which people don't ever, ever talk about, including black folks. You know, I mean, we don't talk about the 300-year war that was, you know, waged against um, um, Red Americans, you know, you know, you know, you know. Instead, we argue why should people be upset that the football team was called the Redskins? And then, what really ticks me off is they can't be satisfied with their argument. Then they got to bring me in as an example. You all wouldn't be happy if a team was called the Blackskins. Well, wait a minute, we had nothing to do with them being called the Redskins. Just, just. <laughs> I mean. If I didn't laugh, I'd cry. You know, that's just what it comes down to. And sometimes I can't sum up the courage and the energy or the fortitude to laugh. You know, sometimes all I do is just do my muted cry. You know, especially with me among so many of my um, white friends, so I have to be very careful about not wanting to offend or not wanting to embarrass or not wanting to make them uncomfortable. I have a, a, a particular white friend. I think that... She thinks that she's more black than I am because <laughs> she keeps, every time I visit her, she keeps wanting me, wanting to take me around and show me all these black things that exist in her city, you know, as if, see, I know this, you don't. And what really takes her off is when I say, I not only know it, but I'm bored by it. You know, it's no longer special. It's routine. You know, it's like, ah, you know, what are you talking about? Get out of here. You're not really black. So anyway, <laughs> I'm tripping and I know it, but that's the beauty about having an open mic. Okay, so moving on. Um, and I'm sure that I kind of left you all in suspended animation, like, wait, you didn't finish your other point. And that's where I need you to come in. So Will always makes the point of saying, have pen, have paper handy. So not only if there's something you want to make a comment about, but also if there's something you have a question about in regards to anything that we or I am talking about, particularly tonight. Um, because as we move through the themes of tonight and not getting to you right away, you might not, you know, have a chance to, you might think that, ah, you know, now they've moved on to something else, so I've missed my chance. No, you know, that's why it's important to write it down. And when we bring you in, just bring it up, you know, and we'll go right back to it or just your voice be heard. Okay, so Booker T. Washington, born um, April 5th, 1856, and died. November 14th, 1915. Um, and I'm just going to breeze, breeze. I'm just going to breeze through um, these three brothers that I talked about earlier. I'm not going to give a, a winded uh, um, Dia tribe on their biography. Just some themes, um, just for the sake of, of dialogue, to bring us to the place of this tribute to Dr. King. Um, now, Booker T. Washington, unique in his own right, you know, felt that the route or the route um, to equality was to learn a trade, you're talking about black folks, and therefore make steps toward financial independence. Um, he dreamed of an education from his, you know, his dream of education came from um, caring 
books for white students to and from school with the hope that every day he would do this to and from school in the hope that one day they would offer him the things, the pearls of wisdom, the knowledge that they were experiencing in school. Um, but it didn't happen that way. Um, as a matter of fact, education for black people was reserved for a chosen few. And in the South, it was totally illegal. And if you get a chance, um, there's a book you might want to read. It's um, a narrative of the black slave. It's written by um, uh, my hero, uh, Frederick Douglass. But anyway, and, you know, if you, if you don't have time to do that, then, you know, buy a book written by another one of my heroes, uh, Bill Green. <laughs> he wrote uh, Dysfunctional by Design. And uh, it, it, it was self-published back in 95, so it may be hard to find. Um, I have a few copies laying around. If you can't find it, I think the last time I saw, um, there was one that was being offered for $860. <laughs> I don't know why. Somebody said it's a collector's item. Who's collecting this? <laughs> last I checked, I was like, uh, my book had sold, and I was somewhere like 1952000 on the bestsellers list. So I, said, I, I don't see who would be collecting that. I didn't even, you know. So anyway, but my point being, if you buy that, you read a lot about it. Um, Frederick Douglass, who I still can't believe no no movie has been made about. I mean, usually, you know, they make movies about black folks after they're dead, you know. Um, so I think, you know, although Trump had a hard time remembering that, he was, you know, what an idiot. He had a hard time. He, he didn't even know that, that Frederick Douglass was dead. He was like, oh, yeah, Frederick Douglass, good guy. How's he doing? <laughs> you know, what an idiot. But anyway... Yeah, and I'm laughing. You know, I'm laughing again, you know, because sometimes a supreme idiocy deserves nothing more than a laugh. Um, hold on just a second. I think we got somebody back in the queue. Let me see if, if he's there or not. My man, fire away. Hey, is that me? You still got me on the line? That's you. Field? Yes, sir. That's that's you. Okay. <laughs> that's you. I, uh, so I saw you hit the, the icon. Didn't know if you wanted to make a comment or not. So I just wanted to bring you in, give everybody a little rest. This a break from hearing me just rattle, rattle, rattle. Okay. Yeah. Nah. Nah. Um. I I went. I didn't know how to get out the queue. I, that's why I pushed the button. But now nah, I'm here though. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we got my okay. got my daughter with me, and we we tuned ah. in. We trying to hear about you know. Fergus Douglas, Booker T. Why we trying to hear? Some, hey, and, and for the record, Martin Luther King is my mentor, man. Love him. Amen. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, he, he, he no question about it. Um, you know, there there are some iconic figures that the world gets to enjoy and we get to hear about. But it's it's a wonderful thing to know that the world is hearing about our icon. You know, Dr. Martin yes, Luther King Jr. Yes, on sir. so many levels yes, and so many ways. And, you know, what makes an iconic figure an icon? Because the theme of their, um, of, of, of their um, um, uh, what do you want to call it, the theme of their reproach, the theme of their, of their theme, you know, never gets old. You know, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. represented will never get old. It will always be the same theme of a Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Bishop Tutu. You know, and and maybe in yeah. some ways, although I know I'm kind of cutting the edge here, um, Jesus. 
you know, uh, but anyway, um, that's yeah. great, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, which daughter? Because I don't want to shout out the wrong name. <laughs> Jaya, she's a, um, the volleyball star. Jayla. Yeah, all right, the volleyball star, yeah. Yeah, because I've only really had voice with um, Jay Prince. So, yeah, so, yeah. you know, Jaya. Jaya or Jayla? Jaya. 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 Okay. What's up, yes, Jaya? Hey. <laughs> hey, there it is. There it is. There's the voice. Oh, beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. How come I'm not surprised, you know, my man? All right. All righty, man. So I got you. I got you on the radar screen. Don't worry. I, you know, um, um, if you want, you can. No, you could. Just, just stay where you are. All right. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm. I can push one or something and try to see if it is. Gave me. I don't. Okay. Uh, I don't want to be in the queue and somebody else trying to get in. You know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hit one and see what happens. Okay. All right. So. Um. <laughs> Okay, you're good. Um, I, you can, you can, uh, let's see. Yeah, anyway, um, I'll check back with you, um, or you can hit one, see what happens. But anyway, um, I'll check back with you, my man. Um, don't, don't worry about the, 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 the line isn't flooded with calls right now. So going back to uh, Booker T. Washington um, and keeping in mind that, and why I brought up Frederick Douglass, because he was raised a slave, and he wrote a book. And, yeah, here we go again about me and books. But he's written several books. But born into a consciousness of servitude, where did that spark come from that somehow convinced him he was meant to be something more than a slave? You know what I mean? I mean, his life was a life of, of servitude. He knew no other way of life, but he that spark you know, of, of spiritual awareness, consciousness, you know, of, 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 of rebirth, whatever it, it was, you know, that I would say, you know, from God, you know, told him, no, man, you know, we have other things we want to do with you. And so from that, reading his book, you find out where it took him. But, you know, the thing that I just hold dear in my heart about Frederick Douglass is not only was, you know, he was, he was his own – not only was he a, 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 a he was a flag waver for for um, freedom for black people, um, no question about it. Him and, and, and Harriet Tubman, the story goes, but you have to find other books to read to get the story. Don't depend on American history as taught in the classroom because it won't even wave a stick at it. He and Harriet Tubman used to hold midnight vigils in front of um, the president's door, office door, President Abraham Lincoln, every night, every night, midnight visuals, praying and singing, you know, that, that Lincoln would um, free the slaves. And I'm not saying that as a result of that he did, but I'm not saying as a result of that he didn't. What I'm saying is, or not because of that he did, what I'm saying is what they did is what I read and what I was told they did, you know, and so, but Frederick Douglass was also, a, you know, he was a leader, you know, a, a, a banner carrier for the issues of women's suffrage. 
you know, as much as he was, you know, um, fighting for the rights of, of, of freedom for black people, he also believed in the right to vote for women, which we talked about on previous shows that black men were actually given the right to vote through the Emancipation Proclamation before women were given the right to vote, which which didn't happen until 1929, which kind of was a thorn in Susan B. Anthony's side. You know, she felt that at least before black men were given the right to vote, the elite white woman should have been given the right to vote. And that wasn't so much a, a, a disclaimer on black men as much as it was her speaking up for her race, you know, and, and right on, baby girl. You know, but nevertheless, you know, really white women got the right to vote in 1929. Black women really didn't get, you know, the full spectrum of the right to vote until 1964 with the signing of the Voters' Right Act. And you might say, well, but women are women. No, but see, there was still a lot of discriminatory practices going on in the South that denied black women the same rights as white women, especially when it came to the vote. So the Voters' Right Act of 1964 gave the right to vote to everybody. And here's the fight, and here's the rub, and here's the issue, because you had this guy, Judge, you have this guy, Chief Justice Roberts on the Supreme Court, who a few years ago um, rewrote, in a sense, the Voters' Rights Act, saying that, well, the extremes of voter discrepancies and, and discrimination, discriminatory practices aren't as severe today as they were back in the early 1900s. So that softening is what we're dealing with now. And what we're dealing with now is what you're seeing in the news. I can only hope that everybody's following the news. So I still I, I had three guys I wanted to talk about, and we're almost three-quarters into the show, and I haven't gotten past uh, Booker T. Washington. So chances are this may be a part two that may carry over to Wednesday. Um, and I apologize in some sense, but I don't in another. So anyway, I'm speaking more about uh, Booker T. Washington um, and the issues of the legalities of black folks being taught in the South and this realities um, was something that he dealt with in regards to walking almost 400 miles from his home in Walden, West Virginia, to a college in Hampton, Virginia. And I'm betting this Hampton College, one of the um, historical black colleges. But there, you know, he graduated and became one of the first, you know, to do so, to graduate from, you know, I guess a recognized certified school. And in 1881, Washington established the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. You know, his quote is one of the issues that, well, there's a couple quotes. Let me read them both. We shall prosper in um, proportion as we learn to dignify and glorify common labor and put brains and skill into the common occupations of life. That was a great speech he gave in, 19, in 1895, considered by many to be his greatest speech, but his critics called it the Atlanta Compromise, meaning that where he spoke um, to his mostly white audiences that nearly 16 millions of hands, talking about black folks, will aid you in pulling the load upward or they, or they will pull against you the load downward. Now, there's two ways to read that, but regardless of how you read it, understand he was quick to 
to make sure that uh, you know white folks didn't get too 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 incensed. You know, he assured them that you can be sure in the future, as in the past, that you and your families will be surrounded by the most patient, faithful, law-abiding, and unresentful people that the world has ever seen. You know, so yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna help lift the load or we're gonna pull down the load, but however we do it, rest assured that you won't be affected by it. If it falls on the shoulders of anybody, it would just be us doing ourselves in. Um, and it's from there that you know some say um, was the established argument of what Malcolm X would later refer to as House Negro versus Field Negro. Um, and the field Negro, of course, is the one who presented subjugation. So um, that theme right there now is in some ways the beginning of a recognized class of people shifting um, their own conscious focus on the rights of freedom as opposed to the pains of, of servitude. And that brings us to W.E.B. Du Bois, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, born um, February 23, 1868, and died in August um, 27, 1963. Um, and in 1903, he condemned Washington's ideas of industrial education, conciliation of the South, and submission in silence as to civil and political rights as to assure white people not to fear social um, intermingling. In his book, in 1903, another book, The Souls of Black Folk, you know, I would really encourage you to consider copying a, 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 purchasing a copy of that. It was published in Chicago. Can you, can you dig it? <laughs> and it consisted of 14 essays, each examining um, particular, um, a particular piece of the um, evolution of black society, arranged to give the reader a, a historical perspective. Uh, Dr. Du Bois, or some say Dr. Du Bois, looked beyond industry as the key to black prosperity and focused on the development of the black mind. You know, he also had a concept of the talented 10, um, and that would be discussed in, 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 in a future program. But it had to do with, like, an elitist group of, of black men and women, um, the talented 10 being the 10% of the total population that um, I guess you could call them intellectuals, that would help raise uh, the, the, the mindset, um, the, the self-identity of black people beyond the scope of labor and begin to recognize the value of education. So um, talking a little bit more about uh, Dr. Um, Dubois, he believed that no progress of black Americans could be realized without an effective right to vote where full citizens and with where full citizens had civil rights. He also formed the Negro movement for social and political emancipation for African Americans, which laid the seeds for the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People in nineteen oh nine. The problem of the twentieth century, however, is the color line. You know, um, that's what he took from Frederick Douglass in regards to Douglas speaking on the issues of, of racial segregation. Um, again, drawing from Frederick Douglass, 
into the scope of the change in the shift of consciousness in the 20th century, meaning the early 1900s, gave birth to the NAACP. Um, so Dr. Dubois had much to do with its development, which he's written several books, of course. Some accused him of being a communist, naturally. Um, the idea of social upheaval being such that everybody owes something to somebody, I can, I can dig it. I can understand why that attitude would have been taken. But nevertheless, um, it's a matter of recognizing that this was someone giving voice to a people where voice had never existed. So, yeah, the turn of the century must have been a, a trip for America. Um, like, where did these folks get all this? You know, what gave them? It's odd, isn't it? We're talking about the early 1900s, and here we are in 2022 still arguing the same issue still having to debate the same causes, still questioning what right do black people have to demand freedom. <laughs> you know, like, you know, all they ever did was slave for a living. You know, what are they doing talking about they have somehow have attained this, this latitude of, of equal justice for all? Like, where did they get that? Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, the great problem is derived from the very simple fact that American history taught in American schools was white history. You know, the same history that was taught to the red man and woman, that, that what we call, you know, the, the, the indigenous populations, the black man and woman, the, the yellow man and woman, the Asian populations, you know, only got really the full scope of white history. But even then, it was slanted, you know, not to betray too much of the cruelty of white history and how, you know, it's like what um, my favorite quote by Stephen Biko, you know, until lions have historians, hunters will always be heroes. And that in itself really should be what is on the outside of every, every university in America. Until hunters, until lions have historians, hunters will always be heroes. You know, um, in the old African schools of, well, before it was African, it were Hebrew schools of knowledge. Every university had a motto, and it simply said, know thyself. You know, and here we are right back into the same crux where America is really struggling with the theme and the idea and the suggestion that the only way the, the full breadth of the people can truly be free is if this country owns itself. That, I don't know, um, seems to be slow in the uptake uptake of actually happening. Yeah, I used to um, joke. I'm, I'm going to finish um, um, Dr. Dubois. Well, actually, I'm pretty much at the end of what I wanted to say about him. I'm going to say going into Marcus Garvey um, for Wednesday's show because that, that in itself raises a very interesting dynamic, uh, a dilemma of sorts that still exists today among black people you know, you had um, Booker T. Washington, w. E. Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, and you'll find as we talk a little bit about Marcus Garvey, um, he and Du Bois had their issues. So it's, you know, Booker T. Washington, Dr. Du Bois, and Marcus Garvey all um, wanting to be the singular vote, voice, the singular mouthpiece for, you know, millions of free black folks. When I was um, 
when I had a life, I like to joke, say it like that. When I was um, out there um, living my dream, I'm still, in a sense, living it because I'm retired. I'm I'm one of the select few people who was born to be retired. Everybody else has to work toward it, so they think, "Man, I was I was ready for retirement the first day I went to work." <laughs> but anyway, you know, when I used to um, give talks, um, I I would always be sure of my audience before I would say a little cutesy, you know. And if my you know if my audience was predominantly male, matter of fact, it had to be totally male. You know, um, then I would say all women were different and all wives are the same. You know, and they were, yeah, <laughs> and then, you know, flip the page. And if a predom- and it only had to be predominantly female audience, not necessarily all, you know, because it's how we do when we're, you know, we're around a, 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 with, with a dominant population in any setting is female. You know, us black men always walk on tiptoe. <laughs> so, so if I saw that, you know, like, three-fourths or, you know, whatever. If the dominant population was female, then I would say all men are different, all husbands are the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so ha, ha, ha. But, you know, as I've gotten older now, I've kind of shifted my view to where now I kind of, you know, I kind of look at it. I kind of believe that all people are different, and yet all people are the same. And it's just a matter of logistics, you know, where one's, one lives. And who writes the rules? You know, um, all people are different, you know, but all people are the same. It's just where you live and who's writing the rules. You know, and, and it's, it's a heck of a thing, isn't it, you know, to um, if, if ever having the experience of moving outside of the boundaries of the United States, not North America. A lot of people in, in the United States want to claim the North American continent as their own, but... You can't leave out Canada and Mexico, you know, and a few other southern countries, you know. So it's like understanding, you know, North America, um, you know, just even Ventry. You know, Trump never went to Canada. Ain't that a trip? <laughs> How can somebody, you know, you could be drunk and stumble into Canada just not knowing where you are. Well, not so much now. But anyway, you know, um, and maybe he has now. But anyway, you know, even and depending on where you go in Canada, like I remember when, um, again, when I had a wife, me and my, my second ex-wife, um, we spent our honeymoon in um, Canada. So we started out in Toronto, which, you know, very Americanized, so to say, uh, where, the, you know, people mostly spoke English. But then we went a little further north, and we passed out the Ontario border, and the dominant language suddenly became French. You know, and I tell you, we were in Montreal for – just a week, but just that week of being in that type of situation where the dominant population spoke French, I forgot where I was. Um, I actually forgot where I was. I didn't feel like I was in Montreal. I felt like I was transported to some French country. I tell you, it was the most incredible experience, the most eye-opening experience, and you know, one that I you know, it's on my bucket list that I would really like to return to Montreal again. Uh, but, you know, there's so many other items on my bucket list that I'll probably never reach. So, anyway, um, if there was anyone out there who wanted to call in, I didn't see you on the queue. Hopefully, um, you'll find that voice to speak in, 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 in some vein on Wednesday's show. Um, I'm surprised that I 
talk so much about nothing so rapidly that tonight's show is about to come to an end. But for those of you out there who listened in, I want to thank you um, for spending this time with me. I, I have missed my brother, my son, my firstborn, my best friend. Hope my other sons don't take what well, they don't listen to the show anyway. <laughs> I just tease it. Yeah, no, not. So, you know. Uh, but I don't mean my best son. I mean my best friend as far as friendship is concerned. I love all three of my sons. I love them in their, in our own relationships, though. So, you know, it's just something that Will and I do. You know, it's, it's what we've been. So thank you all um, for listening in. It's It's been quite a moment. Time passed very quickly for me. I hope it wasn't too painful for you. And um, I look forward to our next time together. Um, it, it's it's been it's been a blast. Love you all dearly. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next Wednesday. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be out. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, his spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be man, woman, and child. Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They march with the torch. We gon' run with it now. Never look back. We done gone hundreds of miles from dark roads, heroes to become a hero. Facing the league of justice. His power was the people. Enemy is lethal. A king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego. No one can win the war individually. It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy. Welcome to the story we call Victory, the coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory. One day, 